14. Hello, everybody. This is 40 Going On 14, episode 130. I am Mike. This is Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh, and I thought I'd learned how to survive an alien abduction. What I actually learned is that you should never drop acid and then wander onto a bus filled with senior citizens. <laughs> you related oh, to Lane Meyer? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's definitely not a good idea. Oh, it's gray everywhere. <laughs> Big eyes, large heads, gray skin. Blue hair? <laughs> so, yeah, we're talking about the X-Files. Yeah, we are uh, not talking about every episode, but we are definitely going back in time and talking about some of our favorites, talking about some of the cool shows that we remember from back when it started back in 1993. And then uh, we're chatting about the new episodes that have come out in the last few weeks in 2016. Yeah, yeah, this has been a show that's been a long time coming. Oh, God, yeah. So we're going to call this right now. Look, for this 2016 section, there's going to be spoilers. Yes. Yeah. And so if you have Sorry to steal Joel's thunder there. Wait, should we call spoilers on this? Yeah, we should totally well, call spoilers I haven't watched these yet, this. so I don't really want... I don't want spoilers. <laughs> well, uh, perhaps you could catch up if you tuned into the show Saturdays at noon on Geek Life Radio. Oh, then I would have known. Yes, yes. you'd find us right between uh, Stick Twiddlers and... Turnbuckle, Turnbuckle throwbacks. Yes. I, I wanted to say tub thumpers for some reason. I'm like, I'm like that's wrong. <laughs> right between Chumba Wumba and the thump thumpers. And when we come back, we'll get knocked down, but we'll get yeah. back up again. You got nothing to knock me down. <laughs> so if you'd like to check out our archives, you can always uh, check us out on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and TalkShoe. And coming soon, you're going to have Google Podcasts <laughs> as an option. Yes. So, uh, And also, if you have any ideas for shows that you'd like to uh, hear us talk about, give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. All right. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter, at 40go14, or send us an email to 40go14 at gmail.com or visit our Facebook page. Yeah. So uh, we got some listener feedback this week. We've got uh, three voicemails from three different people. Uh-oh. Oh, fancy. Yeah. So let's uh, start here. Hey, guys. Justin Sporland here. I'm listening to the episode about your, uh, your guys' drama books and reading and whatnot, and um, Joel just mentioned the uh, Pizza Hut School Asset book thing where if you met a certain amount of stuff, you got a free personal pan pizza, yada, yada, yada. I, I do remember that program. I lived in Colorado for a short period of time when my dad was in the military, and I actually uh, participated in that and did get a free pizza on one occasion. Um, but we had a little wrinkle in that. It just kind of brought back this, this memory. Uh, so we got the free personal pan pizza. Our teacher actually took us off site to go celebrate it and do it and whatnot. Um, and so we lived on the military base. The pizza hut was off base. So we go out to the lunch, get a pizza, do our thing, come back, and she's trying to get us back onto the base, um, but she had forgotten her ID uh, at her desk in the classroom. So originally the uh, the guard and the MP at the gate was not going to let us back in, and there was this whole huge commotion. She was kind of freaking out because she's got children she needs to return to school, um, and the MPs aren't letting her do it. And to add another wrinkle to all this, this is during the Gulf War, so like security was too... Security was so um, good, it took him out. She turned around and asked us what our... Uh, what our, who our parents were and what their ranks were in the military, and it turned out that we had fucking... Oh, no. This is creepy. What happened? <laughs> Security. Uh, see if we can get some clearance here, guys. We've got, you know, all these different people that are going to be upset if uh, you don't let them back in, and they are all well above your pay grade. So we got out on base. Everything was kosher. I kept reading, and I think I got that personal pan pizza two or three more 
school year. So, yeah, that's my little fun. <laughs> it's like the censor's got a hold of his message. Yeah. Like- uh, remembering reading and what uh, the kid. Love the show, boys. Keep it up. Bye. <laughs> Well, it goes to show you. That. Yeah, you should you should definitely not talk about uh, personal pan pizzas and military bases. <laughs> you will be edited. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think the cigarette smoking man got to that one. Oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's hear from Charlie, shall we? No. <laughs> okay, I'll play the other one then. Shit. I figured since I listened through it, I'd go ahead and leave you guys a voicemail, even though I didn't intend to leave you guys a voicemail yet. Um, listening might call it a different show. But I accidentally dialed your number. So. We got butt dialed. Hey, how's it going? I'm catching up. I'm still behind. I guess that's it. Who is this? Uh, that's uh, Nenomalos, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh, it didn't sound like that. Okay, listen. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's what we're here for, to uh, yeah. accidentally call us uh, <laughs> when you don't have anything to say. Thank, thanks for the energy, maybe? I <laughs> Hey, but the sound was crystal clear. Yeah. <laughs> we have a clear memory that's been edited by the military and then a butt dial. How it can only go up from here, right? Seriously, with Charlie. Well, I don't know. It's Charlie. No. <laughs> hey fuckers. Yeah, I uh I actually know the story that Joel was going to tell about uh about uh high fidelity. It's one where he time traveled to go back in time to play the other employee of Rod Gordon's store called Dick, who ends up boning Sarah Gilbert. You don't think it's funny? Look at Joel. That's what Joel looks like, that guy. Kind of. A little bit. fuck is he talking about? <laughs> I was hoping you were going to say it. Cause you I also don't... never mentioned uh, when he was in um, 16 Candles. John Cusack, that is. <clears throat> yeah, we did. Where he was in did. 16 Candles as one of the super geeks that sneaks into the party. We yeah. totally did. We talked about it, like, yeah. first thing. Yeah. You're wrong, Charlie. Oh, God. If you Google Dick... On. Wait, you just got edited what? Yeah. (laughs) I said, if you Google Dick High Fidelity, make sure Safe Search is on. Ooh. Uh, Here, uh, just so you guys know what he's talking about, I just posted a picture in the chat of Dick from High Fidelity, in case you don't remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that is you, isn't it? Either that or uh, the lead singer of REM, Michael Stipe. Yeah. Which I was Michael Stipe for a brief period, so. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Did he know that? Becoming Michael Stipe. Oh, yeah, this is going so smoothly, it must be about that time. It is totally that time. (laughs) This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports, because the truth is out there. All right. So this weekend is September 10th, 1993. That is when the pilot of the X-Files premiered. So uh, first off, music. From September 11th to October 30th, Mariah Carey's Dream Lover sits at the number one spot to then be taken down by Meatloaf's I'd Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. Prophetic. It's weird that I know the Meatloaf song, and it was only up there for a couple weeks, but I don't know the Mariah Carey song. Really? That I, song was huge. Yeah. I mean, I probably do, but I mean, just by the title, I can't, I'm not, I can't. It's the one where she sings really high. Oh. Yeah, right. And then uh, really low. And then really high. Either, so, yeah. you're all right, Mike. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember the chorus. Like, Dream Lover got the best of me. No, Dream just, Lover, come back to me. Oh, come back to me. You and just then she sounds like a coming back incessantly. Mm. It's, good yeah. that, it's good that you know that, Pat. Do you celebrate her entire catalog? Uh, yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you man. don't sound proud of that, which is correct. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> so, She's got some pipes. You got to give her that. Yeah. So also this week. Boobs. <laughs> also, 
also sees the release of Counting Crows August and Everything After, Morphine's Cure for Pain, and Meatloaf's Acronym of the Week, which is B-O-O-H-2-B-I-H. Yes, that's Boobs of Operatic Hookers 2, Boobs in Harmony. Uh, I feel you thought you were gonna catch me with that I, one. <laughs> I feel bad because we were not. Ex- we were like the hoping to catch you off by putting hyphens and numbers in there. I know what it is. What is bat it? Bat out of hell too. Bat into hell. Yes, it is. Did you say bat time. into hell? Yes. Back into hell. That's what I said. Oh. <laughs> Also. <laughs> also, for movies, The Fugitive is the number one movie in the land, making everyone yes. walk around and looking for a one-armed man. That was a really uh, good movie. Robert yeah. Plant did that for a long time, too. I don't care. <laughs> My, I, I mean, it's one of those movies that when I'm when I'm surfing and I see it, I just stop and watch it. I love it. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Love it. Here's some funny. And the janitor's in it, too. My sixth grade teacher is in it. Huh. Yeah. You know, Harrison Ford's in that. Yeah, he is. <laughs> Ooh. Exactly. No, my Wait, s- Harrison Ford is Mike's sixth grade teacher. <laughs> <laughs> no, she was she was one of the nurses in the uh, in the hospital scene. She was right up there Harrison front. Harrison Ford was yes, <laughs> yes. Which made going into going back into school kind of weird because it was it's like got some range. It was like man, there's <laughs> my sixth my grade character. teacher dressed up as a nurse. So that's, Hello, that's, that's, a, that's all I got there. So uh, move. Schooled Mike. Me. <laughs> Excuse me while I take another drink. <laughs> All right, so movies released this week also include The Joy Luck Club, True Romance, Boxing Helena, and California. Also featuring David Duchovny of the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very true. Oh, yeah, that's Great right. movie. Yeah. I actually thought The Joy Luck Club was very good. Never true seen it. True Romance was awesome. Of course. I mean, I figure that's a given. Like, out of that list, that's the obvious one that we're all going to like. Out of that one, out of that list, that's the only one I've seen. Um, I've never seen California. California? I have not seen California. Wow. <clears throat> I thought it was okay. Oh. So good. It's on I my actually list. Thought Boxing Helena was bad, which is a shame because I was looking forward to that one. Oh, Julian Sands. Mm. Strange movie. Mm-hmm. Julian Sands is a strange dude. A creature. Yeah, he's probably at peak creepo in that one. Yeah. He's a warlock, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, TV, Taylor Gray, an actor best known for his role on the Nickelodeon series Bucket and Skinner's Epic Adventures. Anyone familiar with that? Not at all. No, yeah. but I'm just picturing Mitch Pileggi in a Nickelodeon cartoon. Yeah, I was too. <laughs> with Performing with a KFC bucket. <laughs> Probably better than what they put out on that. I was about to say, that has got to be better than anything that that is actually. I would totally watch the epic adventures of uh, A.D. Skinner in a bucket of KFC. And a bucket of KFC. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm looking at the. I researched it on the Google, and I'm looking at it. And it's like, no. I definitely get that bucket out. I'm, I definitely want to watch the chicken. <laughs> All right. So TV on September fourth. Hervé Velichez checks out with a self-inflicted gunshot. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm not oh, saying pain, that. Pain. <laughs> I like Hervé Velichez. How could you not like Hervé Velichez? I don't. I don't dislike him. I. He just. Well, I mean, short people got no reason to live. <laughs> I must have missed that episode of Fantasy. <laughs> I appreciate the slow ball underhand pitch right over the plate. Oh my god, that's Ooh, terrible. Gosh. All right, so also Raymond Burr joins him involuntarily eight days later after his kidney cancer metastasized, but not before he threw several raucous what? goodbye parties. 
Emeticized? You know what, Joel? For the for the crap we've gone through to get this show started tonight. <laughs> it's metacized, damn it. All right. Fair you enough. just you just said the same thing I said. You just said metacized. It's yes. metastasized. Well that's not what you just said. No, because I was actually just gonna go with you. I'm like, let him say it. It's I'll let him say it. Okay. Yeah, we'll roll with it. Sounds like something you do to your value meal at McDonald's, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now sports, because this is gonna be a shit show. <laughs> <laughs> I can see uh if you're not familiar with our process, we can all see in the show notes what Mike's about to attempt to say. All right. On September 5th, Noradine Morselli ran the world record mile of 3 minutes, 44 second, 44 second 39. Three hours. Three hours. Wait, no, that That's can't a, be right. That's a, a mile. mile. That's a, you said world record mile. Yeah, so it's oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. Of three, three minutes, using 44 oops. seconds. Three minutes, four, yeah. Okay. And like 39 tenths of a second. Okay. That's, okay. Go with Because otherwise it'd be like she's, what, dragging herself along with her tongue? Yeah, so I was thinking marathon. Okay. So smile. All right, so three minutes, 44.39 seconds, shaving more than two seconds off the then-current world record. Which wow. in that context is shattering it. Oh, Ooh. yeah, absolutely. When you're counting... uh tenths or hundredths of a second two seconds is huge yep nice on uh, september 8th the houston astros daryl kyle throws his third no hitter of the season in a 7-1 win over the new york mets which nobody has been able to do okay can i ask a stupid since i don't know sports sure if he threw a no hitter Mm where did they get the one point from well, there's there's two different types. There's a no hitter, and then there's a perfect game. A perfect game means you didn't let anybody get on base at all through walks or errors or oh, whatever. Oh, okay. Whereas in a no hitter, like you could walk the bases full and walk a guy in, or you could walk, you know, two guys in, and then an error gets one guy on base, you know, gets one guy to score. So you didn't give up a hit, but you know, you give up a run. There's yeah. actually like an anomaly of like there's like twelve guys that have thrown no hitters through nine innings and still lost a game. Huh. Wow. That was not a stupid question at all, Mike. Okay. uh, I didn't know that. All right, good. I don't feel so bad now. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, X-Files. Yes. So, uh, X-Files came out 1993 is when we first saw that, uh, heard that uh, opening music and watched uh, Mulder and Scully try and take on the alien menace that is taking over the Earth. Um, Written by Chris Carter, who's also known for the TV show Millennium. And also wrote two episodes of a show called Rags to Riches. And uh, the only reason I bring it up is because it's such a terrible show that it had to be mentioned. It's kind of a mix between uh, different strokes and eight is enough. <laughs> With aliens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and everyone's an alien. No, it's, but Millennium, man, I remember that one. That was a really good show, too. That was that the one was with Ed right? What's that? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was good for the entire run. It was solid. Yeah, it he was. Played, he played Jack Black. Yeah, so good. So uh, Chris Carter trivia here. He had two attempts to do crossovers with the X-Files. He tried to crossover X-Files with CBS's Picket Fences, which was another really kind of weird show. Did you ever watch that one, Joel? Uh-uh. It was, I heard about it. It was kind of like X-Files Lite. It was, it was, it was like an... Um, one with Tom Skerritt? Yeah. Huh, yeah, I didn't know that. And I always thought it was like a One Tree Hill kind of show. No, no, it was there was a, there was definitely some weirdness to it. And yeah. uh, however, CBS feared losing ratings to the new Fox network. Uh, the second attempt was a crossover with WB's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but Fox also feared losing ratings to the newer network. In both cases, the show's executive producers were on board. Uh, David Kelly and Joss Whedon were uh, were on with it. Wouldn't that improve the the watchers of the other shows if they're like, oh, the X-Files want to get into this? We should watch this. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense that they like think like people would stop watching it. Right. Yeah. They're not in the same time slot or whatever. Well, I mean, right at the beginning, there was not a whole lot of confidence that this was going to be any <clears throat> good. Well, that kind of, but that's kind of goofy because it was in 1997 when they tried to get him on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, 93, I could see, or no, 1992, 93, X-Files, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, well, that's what I was saying is like, when the initial order, even for X-Files came out, they were just like, well, we need something to fill the time slot after Briscoe County Jr., which is going to be huge. <laughs> and that was their attitude. And, uh, it, very quickly they realized that they backed the wrong horse and they were glad that yeah. they uh, decided to, uh, order X-Files almost as an afterthought. And it was referred to internally with Fox as the other drama we ordered. Nice. That year. Boy, were they wrong. Yeah. It was also, uh, he pitched the X-Files to NBC, but they turned him down. So good job, NBC. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause I don't, th- uh, you know what? Honestly, I don't think it would have survived in any other, uh, Network. And it's crazy that we say that considering Fox's history with sci-fi shows since. Like the yeah. mishandling of, I guess, I mean, the big example, of course, being Fly- Firefly. Definitely. So, so uh, starring in uh, order of how many episodes they have been in, uh, Gillian Anderson as Dana Scully with 207 episodes. We were actually talking about this before the show. Huh, yeah, that's right, because Gillian Anderson was on for the last couple seasons, which didn't have much Duchovny. Nope. And, right. uh, <clears throat> David Duchovny is Fox Mulder with 190 episodes. Uh, the aforementioned Mitch Pelegi as Walter Skinner, 85. The Cigarette Smoking Man as William B. Davies. Or take that, whip it, reverse it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, William B. Davis was a cigarette smoking man. Yeah, at uh, 41. Um, 41 episodes. Robert Patrick's John Doggett. 40 episodes. Tom Braidwood. The, uh, this is, we just thought it was kind of weird that the, um, Lone Gunman were in here, uh, with 36 episodes to 40 episodes apiece, uh, which was more than, uh, God, who was a big villain at the end? Oh, Krychek? Krychek. Well, well, yeah, I mean, Cigarette Smoking Man's still the big villain, but yeah, Alex Krychek. It's also weird that the, the Lone Gunmen have all different numbers of episodes. Like, Tom Braidwood as Frohickey? Yeah, I believe Frohickey, like, got his own episode that just featured him. Mm-hmm. But the fact that uh, Byers and Langley have different numbers as well, that's weird. Yeah, that's kind of strange. Yeah, because usually you see all three of them together. But yeah, Most 40 episodes, episodes right. then 37 and 36. Hmm. So, uh, the famous echoing chord from the theme music was a fluke. Composer Mark Snow accidentally put his elbow on the keyboard with the echo function on, and he liked the resulting sound so much he wrote the entire theme around it. That's awesome. Yeah. And they still use the same theme today and the same opening credits. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and it's eternal. It's like you hear that opening, those opening notes, and you know exactly what it is. It's never been a case of, I think I know what show this is. Right. So... But uh, also when uh, now Josh, you said it differently. Gillian or Jillian? Jillian. 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 When Jillian Anderson got pregnant at the start of season two, uh, some network execs wanted her role recast. Uh, executive producer Chris Carter admittedly denied their request, and I believe wrote her pregnancy into the show. Yep. Yeah, I mean that was the whole uh, period where she her abduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very careful in the episodes leading up to the abduction with camera tricks and costuming to not uh, show that she was showing. And they they did actually later on. I put in this question: What was the biggest goal? You know, like what the hell moment of the show? I think her being actually being pregnant was one of my big big moments of uh, 
how the hell she that got happened. Just for the plot. Yeah, I know. Seriously, <laughs> that's dedication, isn't it? Right. Uh, when casting the role of the cigarette smoking man, the producers had no idea that he would turn into a major role. Uh, they cast him as an extra. So they, William B. Davis was cast to just stand in the background and smoke a cigarette at the initial. The thing is, so many people noticed him, and so many people are like, what is that guy's story? Why is he not talking? Why is he just sitting there observing everything? Who is he? What is this? And they all, everyone started digging into it. They turned him into this villain. Uh, he also turned out that he's one of the more respected acting teachers in Canada, and Chris Carter made him the main villain of the series after that. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke for the first time, I was like, wait, that's his voice? And uh, uh, extra credit to anybody who can name the brand of cigarettes he smoked? Morley's. I knew that Josh would get that. Of course. Mm-hmm. Red Which, <laughs> we're not actually cigarettes. Nope. Uh, Julian Anderson. <laughs> no. Julian oh. Anderson has declared several times that her favorite episode is Bad Blood, and David Duchovny says said that his favorite end to an episode is in Postmodern Prometheus, in which Mulder and Scully get to dance together. Aww. Now, Postmodern is that the one that has is that the one with Cher? I believe that is the ending. Yeah, uh, that where is, they go to the Cher concert. That is right. Yes. That is that. That was one of the weirder ones. Uh, and also some trivia: every time Skinner goes to Mulder's apartment, someone pulls a gun on him. <laughs> uh, Skinner played the shocker in the Wes Craven film of the same title. Can I just say real quick, just to get out of the way, that Julian Anderson and David Duchovny are two of the most attractive people ever on television, in my opinion. Yeah, I, would I think agree that's with a that. reasonable yeah, statement. That's a good statement. I just love watching them together. And do you realize he's 55 now and still looks that good? Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll talk more about this in the now, but like the entire cast, how they aged, it's pretty interesting. That's all that alien DNA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, given the toss up, Mulder or Scully? If you had to. Mulder. Mulder? Yeah. Like, we're, we're picking one or the other? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Let's say, let's say it's the end of the season. You know, one survives, Mulder or Scully. Oh, well, that's a different question. Like, who is your favorite and who survives? Because my favorite would be Mulder, especially because of the episodes that present him in a not-so-positive light. Mm -hmm. But, like, if you're telling me I I have the button that chooses who lives and who dies, I'm picking Scully. Okay. And Mulder would make the same choice. Yeah, Yeah, to live. Yeah. Well, that and there's been pointed out in several episodes that she's not intended to die, so, ever. Yeah, that's true. And he dies in autoerotic asphyxiation. Exactly. But he dies I'm gonna, in season three. <laughs> I'm going to agree with Josh. Mulder, I would say, and yeah, Scully to live, but Mulder was always my favorite just for his dry humor. Pat? I was the first one. I said Mulder. Oh, okay. How about you, Mike? You haven't yeah. voted. I would, I would definitely say <laughs> just to like to hang out with Mulder. Definitely, because I like his, I like his, like I said, his dry wit, his, his expectation that no one's going to believe him on any of this stuff to the point where it's almost humorous to him all the time. And Scully had a save. Now, with so many seasons, favorite episode. And, and we've talked about this off air, but you're right. I mean, with 10 seasons now under the belt, man. Uh, and we're talking of all the seasons, including the new one, right? Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Uh, just the old ones. Oh. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll revisit it in the second half to see if uh, we think any of the new six have displaced our favorite. But let's, yeah, let's keep it to the classic. Yeah. Okay, so for a classic series, I'm going with season three's uh, Clyde Breckman's Final Repose starring Peter Boyle. I just rewatched it and still holds up as my favorite episode. I actually, I agree with you. That's my favorite episode. I watched it too yesterday. 
Um, hmm. You guys know this, and uh, people who have talked to me about X-Files probably know this, but uh, I, I love Clyde Brookman's Final Repose. It's a Darren Morgan classic, but his other episode that he wrote that season is actually my personal favorite, which is Jose Chung's From Outer Space. And the, one of the reasons I love it so much is, for one thing, you get to see kind of a Rashomon sort of story where the same events are told through the perspective of four different unreliable witnesses. And you only see the other characters, how another character sees them. And everybody's got something wrong. And the actual truth either is misinterpreted or could only have been viewed by someone who didn't care at the time. Yeah, so, I mean, I, re- I really love the way that episode is written. But... I, I mean, especially bits like uh, Blaine referring to Scully as the man in black who was dressed like a woman but wasn't pulling it off. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was funny. Or and then the way she talks in that part. Yeah, or, or uh, when Mulder sees the alien corpse, his girlish shriek. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't. That was pretty funny. <laughs> and it has my all-time favorite line from uh, the X Files when uh, he's asked by Jose Chung, uh, "All these death threats, aren't you afraid of telling me all this?" Blaine says, "I'd like to think all those years playing Dungeons and Dragons taught me a little something about courage." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I've, I'm kind of a toss-up because I love the comedy ones. I love the ones that have that twist. So actually, postmodern Prometheus is on my top five, but I think just because of the parallels, Ice is probably my favorite one. That oh, was Dark Horse. Yeah, Ice is the one that almost that runs just like uh, the thing. Interesting. Yeah, because Ice is neither like almost everybody likes the comedy ones or the big mythology episodes like EBE, Paperclip, uh, The oh, Truth. EBE is fantastic too. I mean, oh, it's in my yeah. top ten. But I think I think just because I'm such a fan of the thing, I connected to that one better. And I, you know, the uh, isolation terror thing where they're all stuck in the Antarctic and that. And there actually is a little bit of mythos to that too. Because I mean, if you watch the movies, they always they all wind up in the. Uh, uh, Antarctic in the very end. Um, but yeah, Ice is probably my favorite one. Now, if, if you're going to separate out the comedy from the drama ones, um, then I have to mention Home, which is the one where the inbred trio of brothers oh. live in the house. So, that was one that was so disturbing that they refused to rebroadcast it. That's one of my favorites from, that's a serious episode. I would say probably is my favorite just because it, it, it ties into all the things I love about horror, but then it also, uh, it's what, just so well done. What was the name of the song that they played in that one? Oh man, I just it's watched this. No, it's, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's uh, a, beautiful, 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 beautiful. It's yes, that one. Funny story. I worked at Trader Joe's. The manager of that store decided to watch X Files. Guess which episode he decided to watch X Files on? <laughs> Not that one. Yeah, Home oh. was the only episode he watched. Home got freaked out by it and decided he's never going to watch this show again because he's like, I don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> There's, you know, mom's got no arms, no legs. They keep her under the bed. Uh, they're playing this song, "Beautiful, Beautiful," all the time, and he he was just like really put off by this by this episode. Now, the reason I found this out is because we would put on, you have the standard uh, radio station that you're supposed to play yeah. uh, for being, you know, being in the store. And he always put on the 50s and 60s uh, station. <laughs> there was not one week where that song did not come on. 
and he could be all the way in the back of the back of the store you know speakers going on in the back room that song by the third measure he would be up in the front changing the station that song never got played in that store (laughs) <laughs> you know what's funny about that episode is that even though there's been like, I don't know, six wrong turn movies now, that episode is better than all six of those movies put together, which I is agree. a very similar theme. That's a really I mean, twisted episode. It's so well done, though. I mean, it's just so atmospheric and dark and just it's it really is spot is that the on. one where they, they kept the mom on the, the wheelie thing under yeah. the bed? Yep. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that was creepy as hell. Uh, another uh, more serious, to contrast, like Joel was saying, from the comedy ones that uh, everyone else seemed to not like so much, but is one that has always stayed with me is The Field Where I Died. Which one is that? That's the one where Mulder finds the photograph and he like r- r- has this memory of another life in the Civil War and this girl that he like had this whole other life with. I'm looking it up now. Oh... Yeah, a lot of people thought it was sappy and it wasn't supernatural enough and it was just a lot of what we call now woo-woo. But uh, I don't know, something something about it just stuck with me through the years. Is that... A lot of people call it a filler episode kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. I was looking at the cast list because it looked like... Oh, I thought I saw somebody else. Maybe I was wrong. And it's also a fourth season episode and a lot of people, it's not the fourth season is bad. It's that it had to follow season three and season three is just crazy good. Yeah, for sure. And that was directed by Rob Bowman, who was one of the big X-Files directors, but he also did, um, uh, oh, damn it. The Christian Bale Reign of Fire. Mm hmm. Which was phenomenal, by the way. It's also the first time in the context of the X-Files that we really get to see Duchovny as act, having real serious acting chops. Because while he's got the dry wit, let's face it, Mulder has a little, he's a little light on personality as compared to some other sci-fi heroes. So he doesn't have to like stretch himself too much as an actor until you get to this episode. My opinion. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen it, so I can't really comment yeah. on it. Yeah, I haven't seen that one. Well, and you have to kind of watch him outside of the show to see him really dig in. So it was nice to see him to to do that. So Yeah, and this is another one from uh, Glenn Morgan and James Wong. Almost every episode that isn't a big Chris Carter mythology episode that everybody loves are either Darren Morgan or the combination of James Wong and Glenn Morgan. Okay. So many Morgans. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think there's a third Morgan who was a regular writer as well. I don't remember. <laughs> Morgan Freeman. <No>. Yeah. <laughs> so saying of that, it seems like X-Files, like there's a, there's several other shows that do this, like uh, My Girls Watch Supernatural, where you have a bunch, of, a bunch of episodes, one right after the other, that are this dramatic, carry the plot long, along shows, and then out of the blue you'll get this comedy show that kind of breaks, it breaks the, uh, I don't want to say breaks the emotion, breaks the mood. Attention? Yeah, attention breaker episode. X-Files does that really well, in my mm-hmm. opinion. What was your guys' take on the comedy episodes? You know, did you guys enjoy them? I mean, the break from the plot, or were you just wishing you can get back into the whole uh, thick of things? I, I thought it was a, it was a welcome break, because you can't have a show like that that's eternally heavy-handed. Otherwise, it gets to be to the point where it becomes redundant. You have to have that break, just like with any good horror film. If you don't break it up with a little something else in the middle... Mm-hmm. You lose your audience. Uh, but the counterpoint to that is I love the comedy episodes, but they're like dessert. Dessert can't be or shouldn't be an entire meal. Exactly. It's, it's best where there's just a little something sweet at the end. And you remember that as the best, but you still wouldn't want the whole show to be that. I just had a whole sleeve of Oreos for my dinner. Well, <laughs> like of your shirt. 
I believe you have uh, not contradicted my point. <laughs> yeah, see, I think I, I agree with you on this, Josh. It's like the comedy episodes are good. The ones that are funny are really funny. I mean, they they discover that uh, uh, Mulder, uh, the David Duchovny, he's, when he wants to be funny, he can be really funny. Mm-hmm. And it's just like these, you do need that, like, did you say cleansing of the palate? So much, uh, intrigue on all the, on these shows. And near the end of it, it's like you can't really take having one more show where you have to really have to figure things out. You need something lighter. Uh, and I think the timing of, of them is really good because it's not like every fifth one you get this comedy one. It's right. you, you can go a good 10 episodes where it's just solid, you know, plot, you know, meta plot on the entire show. And then you, then you'll get this 11th one will be it, but then it'll be like two really hardcore ones. And then a third one will be one of the comedy ones. Or they'll do like a standalone story. Yeah. Sure. Or be something that, you know, that lets you disengage from the, uh, the meta for a little while. Right. So an interesting question here. The biggest, what? <laughs> <laughs> I believe that's how you pronounce that's that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> So what's yours for the, for that? Since it's such an interesting question, I'm curious. I, I figure you wrote it with, uh, a moment in mind. When discovering that, uh, that Scully's pregnant. Oh, okay. That was mine. I said it earlier. It's like one of those where it's like you go through all those episodes at the event and you realize that she's pregnant and there's that whole, who, whose is it? Where'd it come from? And then the, again, going meta when discovering that, uh, uh, Gillian Anderson was actually pregnant the entire time. Was also another one of those huh type of things, but um, I think her her with her kid probably has to be the biggest what for me. Joel, I'm thinking about it because I'm trying to figure out because uh, I've got a couple, but um, I'm trying to verify if I'm correct in my remembering of the show because I didn't watch all of the episodes again. So um, come back to me in just a second. Okay, Pat, you got one ready, or should I go? Well, mine's going to be pretty short. I don't really have one because unlike the three of you, I haven't <clears throat> I haven't watched every episode. I'm not horribly familiar with this. I just I used to watch this show with you guys every now and then or I'd watch it with my father or whatever, but I never really watched it on my own too much. So I'm not the guy to ask on that because as far as like overwhelming plot lines that went through the whole series, I didn't keep up with those. No. Yeah, I was the opposite. Like, I was a fanatic for this show, like delving into the mythology, making sure I didn't miss an episode, going crazy. And as a result, my what moment wasn't supernatural at all. I Because you could go as crazy as you want on that, and it's the X-Files. That doesn't surprise me. My moment was a, I can't believe they did this. And it's a moment in an episode called Endgame. Uh, in season four, near the, no, season two, near the end, okay. where Skinner and X are in an elevator and the elevator gets to close. They realize who each other are and it's like a knockdown drag out brawl. And both Stephen Williams is X and Mitch Pelegi is Skinner. These are some massive guys. These are guys that you expect, like, either one of them is going to be able to take just about anybody in hand-to-hand. And the two of them getting into a fist fight where neither of them can escape in the elevator is just like, this is so badass, and I'm not even sure I I know who I want to win this. (laughs) That's pretty Hmm. cool. And Skinner does turn out several times in this show to be more of a badass than you think he is. Oh, yeah. I mean, basically, X... 
his whole introduction is total badass, and he ends up getting the crap beat out of him. Uh, the information, I think uh, Skinner was trying to figure out where Mulder was, and Skinner beats it out of him, basically. Yeah. I don't, I don't know who X is. Uh, in the first season, you've got Deep Throat, who is there like a government contact, but in EBE, which is like one of the first really big mythology episodes, yeah. suddenly there's the big shocker that Deep Throat gets killed off. At the beginning of season two, uh, their new insider contact is this guy X, played by uh, Stephen Williams, and he's like, "I'm much more careful than my uh, predecessor was." Oh yeah, I yeah. That. And he, yeah, he's this. I don't know if you're familiar with Stephen Williams, but he's a uh, big black dude, salt and pepper beard, very physically imposing. He's three on Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not familiar with him. So look him up. Yeah, his his run. I actually think uh, they killed his character off too early, and with much—I don't know if it was a salary negotiation thing—but like X deserved a couple more seasons. My my opinion. I agree with you on that. Um, well, I was gonna say that the the time that I realized that the fluke man was in the porta potty, but um, that's a little too vague. So I'm gonna go with um, when we found out that cigarette smoking man was Mulder's dad. Oh yeah, which. Ooh. Kind of know that you kind of saw that it might be coming, but then when it finally happened, you're like, "Wait, what?" And they reference it again in the new season. But yeah, there was a couple of episodes that kind of tied into that and found out that uh, Jeffrey Spender was his half brother, and it was this whole storyline that played out. So spoilers. We're not calling spoilers. <laughs> said that at the beginning. All right, now Joel. This is actually a little bit more aimed more at uh, Joel and Josh. Because I actually, near the end of the last few seasons, dropped out. Uh, wasn't watching it as regular as I used to be. But what's your take on the last few seasons and the introduction of John Doggett? Um, given what a fanatic I was, the last two seasons, uh, to me, were such a disappointment. When I heard David Duchovny was leaving and only appearing in a very limited number of episodes... The fact that the last se uh, season where he was a series regular until the recent revival ended with him getting pulled up into the sky, abducted by aliens. I was just like, this is how the show ends for me. Right. Uh, this is a satisfying ending, and I don't approve of what they're doing. So I didn't watch the last two seasons. And later I went back just, I didn't watch all of them, but I watched a few just to get myself uh, familiar with what had happened so I wouldn't be lost for the movies. Mm -hmm. And John Doggett's fine. Uh, Monica Reyes is fine. Uh, what we saw Reyes again, we're going to talk about her in the second half. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, yeah, she came back with a big splash. See, I kind of was in the same <clears throat> camp as Josh and... When I went back to watch some of the episodes with, with Robert Patrick, I just, I just couldn't get into him. You know, I, as much as I tried that the chemistry wasn't the same and the character wasn't as likable and it just didn't have the same feeling to it anymore. So I, I honestly, I don't think I finished the last two seasons either. Yeah. A true believer and scientific skeptic works much better than scientific skeptic and jarhead, which basically is what John Doggett was. I mean, he's, he's, proves himself to be a brave guy he proves himself to be a valuable member of the team but he is much more physical altercation specialist mm -hmm. yeah it just it was it was they, they should have just called it a day it, it's weird i didn't approve of john doggett uh 
in when he was originally introduced. But if they bring Robert Patrick back, uh, I'll actually be pretty cool with that. The fact that we didn't see him in uh, the six episodes for the revival was a little bit surprising to me. Well, one of the things that I um, I read in reading up on the trivia on this is that for the last few seasons is that Fox wanted to continue it. They wanted to, he wanted, I think it was five, season five where he wanted to kill it. And Fox didn't want to lose it. They, I mean, they had their cash cow. I mean, everybody was watching X-Files. Uh, so they signed him up and basically got him to do the movie. Uh, that, that came out back in, back in the time. And he had to, again, Chris Carter had to figure out how to write a movie, uh, to answer questions in the X-Files, but still bring people in that be able to, that would be able to watch it and not have to watch five years of, uh, of X-Files in order to be able to figure out what's going on in the movie. So, and then they had the, he also had to write the movie to bridge into the next season. So that whole, the, the whole time there was kind of a big old clusterfuck. Yeah. Well, in the space between the movies, I mean, the original one came out in 98, mm-hmm. and the second one came out in 2008. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, it's never really gone away totally in a lot of ways. So we'll see season 11 in uh, 2024? <laughs> <laughs> no. Approximately. Yeah. No, they've already ordered another six-episode run, I think. I think that's a rumor. Last I heard, no official talks had started. But it looks like it's a given now. Fox is really happy with the ratings. And we'll talk more about that again yeah. after the break. After the break. So any uh any criticism that doesn't have to do with the last couple seasons? If you could I change think that oh, so oh, you, I thought that what's that? If you can change one thing. What well would you I thought some of the some of the storyline was getting a little too out of hand. Like a little too much, if that's possible. <laughs> um were the the overarching uh, you know, undertones of the show were getting a little out out of control. But, you know, when you have that big of a mythos, it's kind of hard to keep it down and mm-hmm. you got to keep building on it. So uh, I think it was bound to kind of self-destruct eventually. And now they've kind of found a way to bring it back to life, which is phenomenal. I'm curious about Pat's take on this since he wasn't a huge fan in the beginning. Like, what's what's the what's your biggest criticism? I don't necessarily know if I have a real criticism. Um Everything I've ever really watched about this show, I liked. Huh? Okay. Yeah. But I mean, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think I really have one because I didn't watch it when it when it started f- kind of falling apart, you know, mm-hmm. as, as the fans want to talk about, you know, like the la- again, like you said, the last couple seasons and stuff. So, I think for me throughout, uh, one of the reasons I love some of the episodes where they turn the formula on its head is because for the vast majority of the show, there are technically two perspectives, but Mulder's always right. And that kind of bugged me, and that's why I loved some of the episodes where, and usually found in the comedy episodes, where Mulder's just flat out wrong or believes something ridiculous. And uh, so it's something that they addressed directly, but for a lot of the run, uh, it, it seemed like he was talking to Scully as though she was an idiot because her mind wasn't open enough. And the show kind of confirmed, hey, he's always right. She's always wrong. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of, I do agree with you on that. There would be, would be nice to see in some of the, some of the meta episodes where Mulder just was stymied. To be wrong on a big issue. Yeah. Right. Right. Where it's like not everything, it turns out that not everything is part of this. Uh, and have him be able to, you know, and just see his reaction to it. I mean, cause it, you know, like, it seems like that just, one of the things I didn't like is that that ball of Mulder just keeps getting bigger. 
it's, you know, Mulder discovers this, Mulder discovers this, Mulder discovers this. And it's like that, like you said, Joel, just keeping that, that mythos, keeping that ball of wax moving. And the problem is you keep picking up more. And I feel really bad for anybody who was, to, you know, was supposed to be part of continuity in this, in this show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can't even imagine what that office had to look like. There has been like red string, like connecting from one side of the wall to the other in some cases. But it did get to the point where even on my side, it was, I mean, trying to keep track of, you know, why is this person important in this show? You know, why am I, why do I care about this person? Oh, well, two seasons ago, he, they talked to him about this for five minutes, uh, when in researching something else. And now they brought him back again, you know, just to talk to him again. But it's, it's, it, the, the web got too twisted in some cases. It's kind of like the thing, same thing that happened to Lost. At some point, you just got way too many mysteries and you can't wrap them all up. Sure, and whenever yeah. they answered something major, they frequently threw uh, three more questions at you. That's right. a totally legit criticism. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. less is more, and it felt like they kind of lost track of that at some point. Don't get me wrong, it didn't ruin the show for me, but it's totally no. worth saying is, hey, yeah, this is something. It could have had a tighter narrative focus at certain points. And I do think that they answered some of that. Like, uh, is Mulder so far gone that he's spiraling into insanity? Could he get so deep into the X-Files that he becomes dangerous to the people around him? Those are questions they periodically address, Hmm. which I think is awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, Cool. So is that it for uh, part one? I yeah. think we need to take a break because uh, the government is listening. <laughs> yeah, you get uh, all of those. Se- you get nine seasons, and we could talk for hours and hours. But I think we hit the high points. What we need to to be prepared to talk about the revival this year. Right on. All right, so we will be back in a little bit, dipping into a little bit more of uh, Mulder and Scully stew. You. <laughs> what? Yeah, coming back, we'll talk about season ten. Yes, love it. All right. Welcome back to the part two of the X-Files show. Awesome. We are uh, talking about the new six-episode series that came out this year in 2016. And um, almost how many years? 20? 20 years? Let's see. They kept throwing around the time period of 13 years. 13 years since the last episode. Now, is that in show, showtime or is that? I just remember they, in the, uh, season six, they kept saying it's been 13 years since blah, blah, blah. So. Okay. Well, 13 years in, uh, and they're in the just show. as sexy as ever. You know, Agreed. just saying. Duchovny looks a little inflated. Yeah. A little frazzled around the edges, but no more than, you know, he's, not doing what he used to do. He's no worse than you'd expect a guy who's been 13 years since he's been out in the field chasing after aliens. You get abducted to see how well you look. Exactly. Jillian Anderson looks spectacular. You you can tell she's had a little bit of work done, but it's tasteful work. Uh And Mitch Pelegi has barely aged. Yeah, he looks great. Yeah, he looks like he just stepped off the set from 13 or whatever. Here's the thing, though. Uh, I had talked about... um, Supernatural earlier, and Mitch Pelegi is actually in Supernatural. He plays one really? of, yeah, he is. 
he plays uh the grandfathers of the of the two main characters and in this one in in supernatural he's a complete badass also i mean he is basically a monster hunter in this one and has stayed in shape to play this character of you know hammering stakes through people's and that sort of thing so bald is beautiful yeah and i mean william b davis looked like he was made of leather back in 1993 <laughs> so yeah he looks older and also like the cameo from the lone gunman like aside from a little bit of gray and buyer's beard they looked exactly the same i know even, it's a little hard to tell but what were you gonna say mike sorry i'll say tom Bray. uh yeah they Especially Froki. Yeah, Frohickey and Langley, like, it looks like they hadn't aged a day. Uh, Byers, yeah, okay, he's got some gray in his beard, he looks a little older. But yeah, especially the other two. I think nobody in this that came back from, from that, that short of from, uh, from the original, uh, run really looks bad. They all look really good, so. Yeah. Props to them. Yeah, Reyes looks good. I mean, yep. granted, William B. Davis looks bad, but considering he was presumed dead, and, I mean, he's old and he obviously got fucked up. Yeah, he got a rocket up his ass in a helicopter, I believe, right? Basically. All right, so 2013, uh, we got treated with the episode and uh, January 24th, came out called My Struggle, the one that brings back Mulder and Scully. Now, again, we're going to say, hey, there's going to be spoilers of this. Um, so TV host comes over and, uh, gets back in touch with Mulder and Scully to try and get them back on, get information from them that the aliens exist. He's a believer. He wants to go back to the original source of all the information that he's been, he's been getting and discovers that Mulder and Scully are it. And they've been out doing their things. Uh, Dana's now working in a hospital, working as a, uh, as a surgeon. Uh, and Mulder is sort of just hanging out. Yeah, he's off the grid. He's put it mostly behind him. He still occasionally does research and stays in contact with various people in the community, but he's mostly like put that part of his life behind him. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, what's interesting is, um, I noticed going back to the old episodes that they tie a lot of the old things that are brought up in the old series in the the new episodes and one of the things that i caught was in the episode at home uh he talks about how he's like someday i'd like to own a plot of land like this and this is where i'd like to live and she's like out in the middle of nowhere and he's like yeah and ironically the house he lives in in the new series is out in the middle of nowhere and looks a lot like the house in home so just throwing that out there oh that's cool yeah well, I mean, if, if you, you figure if you're a guy who has been under the microscope, have all these secret groups coming after you, been abducted, been chased down, then you want you when you get off the grid, you go to the middle of nowhere. It kind of makes sense, you know. He he wants to be avoided as much as possible. You know, living in this house with as little like you know little electricity, little contact people on the outside is all. I mean, it's it's just like that's just the next chapter in his life. It's either that or you completely surround yourself with people, so there's always witnesses. Yeah. I'm going to say, as much as I love the revival, my struggle is actually not a very good episode, in my opinion. Um, it's weird. Like, it, it has to catch everybody up with what the X-Files is, what's going on, but there's a few, like, really big problems with it. It's like they've been gone for 13 years, and a... uh Basically, YouTube talk show host gets them back on the horse, and then all of the forces that kept the X-Files shut down suddenly decide, okay, we're reopening them again. And I was just kind of like, what? It was very contrived. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was forced. 
It it, it really was. I mean, because honestly, but I they, don't see they, m- they couldn't really drag it out because they only had six episodes. They had right. yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was a necessary episode, but and without it, the rest of the ser- uh, season doesn't make any sense. But it's also, in my opinion, very clearly the worst episode of the six. It's a lot of exposition to go through. Hmm. Hmm. Sound like you disagree, Joel? No, I just I I'm, I don't disagree entirely. Just I guess I didn't think of it that harshly, just because the sheer nostalgia made me happy that at the end of it I was like, yay! Uh, <laughs> so. Don't get me wrong. There have been a lot of people who claim to be like the real X Files fans who've been shitting on this, and I am not one of those. And I hold them in great deal of contempt because it's the same dudes who had problems with Mad Max despite not really knowing much about Mad Max, only having their vague recollections of having liked it. Same dudes who hate the new Star Wars and claim themselves to be the real Star Wars fans. I have a message to those people. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) I share that sentiment. (laughs) No, I mean, it's... But, you know, I do agree with you that in the... Compared to the other five, this probably was this was the weakest one because they do have they want to reintroduce this show and they have to cram all this exposition into one show and it did seem forced and the idea that Mulder would just suddenly trust this YouTube guy yeah was kind of weird. And, like, I don't even get into, like, people criticize this episode for, oh, they're just going to reframe the X-Files as right-wing propaganda. No, I actually thought they they really took a very studied uh, apolitical path, showing positives and negatives of both right-wing and left-wing thought, and how they go through modern takes on paranoia, conspiracy, etc., and how those things have changed in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. Well, and from what I understand, the character that Joel McHale plays um, is based on an actual person. Yeah, because this is the day and age where a YouTube sensation can actually garner some kind of voice. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, Justin Bieber started off on YouTube. Yeah, but enough of a voice to get the X-Files back after 13 years is a bit of a stretch. Justin Bieber? Joel Joel McHale is also very dreamy, and I can see (laughs) Fox Mulder definitely falling for that. Wait, wait, wait. Justin Bieber, that's your connection. (laughs) Right. If you you don't think Justin Bieber has some kind of voice and influence in the world right now. I thought you were suggesting he's an alien. No, no, I didn't say that directly. (laughs) Yeah, and even if I can buy that this new evidence reinvigorated the fires with Mulder and Mulder getting back in brought Scully back in, if nothing else to protect him. Okay, that's fine. But what about the shadowy government forces that shut down the X-Files in the first place? They're just like, oh, YouTube guy wants them back. So, yeah, we'll just do that then. He's uh, Alex Wars Info, Alex Jones Infowars. That's the guy I was trying to think of. Okay. That's who he's loosely based on. So, I mean... Don't get me wrong, it was necessary, but it's it's best left in the dust, so it's okay. We brought everybody up to speed. Let us never speak of that again. <laughs> right. right. Let's get this party started. Mm-hmm. So, and after that comes up Founder's Mutation. Uh, scientists working for the Department of Defense commit suicide. Uh, they start an investigation only to discover that there is a secret mutation experiment in this. Uh, this 
I thought was a really good episode. Very classic uh, X-Files. Mm-hmm. That's exactly like it. the way they just phrase it, commits suicide. Yes, that's exactly what he did. Yeah. <laughs> Shoved a giant needle through his ear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, letter opener. Yeah. Yeah. This one oh, that's what, my, yeah, letter opener. Yeah. Crammed a letter opener. It made my here. brain hurt. That was, yeah. that was pretty bad. But- I mean, this hit all of the major points. It's like something weird happens. The team shows up. There's obviously more to it. They get into this really important and powerful person that's obviously a bad guy. Turns out that what's going on is not what you think it is. Mm-hmm. Aliens. Bad guy <laughs> dies. <laughs> I'm not saying aliens. <laughs> But aliens. But that's that's like the formula for like if you wanted to write an a random filler X Files episode from any season, mm-hmm. and it works just as well now as it always did. It's not going to be anybody's favorite, but it's solid. Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a solid connector. It's a connection uh, episode. This is the intro. We got all these people back. This is them doing what they do best. Oh, yes, there's aliens. Of course there's aliens. But we have to show you that this is what there's a shadowy company. There's a shadowy government agents. There's the, they, it's, I think it's almost like an extension. You could have taken my struggler and founder's mutation and crammed them together and made, made like a two-parter out of it. You know, like they come into it because the, just find a different way to write it, but it definitely brings in the fact that Mulder and Scully still have the chops for what they're doing and are still want to discover what's going on. Although it's fair to say because my struggle part one is episode one and my struggle part two is episode six, you look at those in Founders Mutation and it almost looks like the bookend, (laughs) uh, episodes are almost on a different show from Founders Mutation. Well, but Founders Mutation, they, they had to get them back into their groove before they hit episode three. Absolutely. And without, without giving them a chance to go through the motions of what they're built the, uh, the entire series on. You can't really move forward. Mm-hmm. You're 100% correct. Yeah, because remember, Yay. there's a lot of – that's one. It um, finally <laughs> happened, episode 130. <laughs> Mark that. Because in this one, I think it's also – I've you- metasized. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're a Pokemon. <laughs> oh, uh, but no, I mean, in this one, it's also you, – you remember, you have these new viewers – that are, you know, may just have started watching the X-Files because of this. You know, they need to have this instead of wanting to go back. Oh, I want to go back and watch it on Netflix. Oh, my God, there's nine years of episodes. I wouldn't even know where to start. This one is almost like a thumbnail of this is what they do. The Very first true. one. Yeah, the first one is this is who they are. This is what they used to be. This is what's going on. This is what they did. This something, Like you said, Sarah, something strange happens. Shadowy government agency. Pretty much. So I liked it. I think it was a good intro. It's a good intro X-Files episode. Yeah, it may be by the numbers, but like Joel said, you have to do one by the numbers or you can't get away with episode three, which I think we're all dying to talk about. Oh, yeah. So episode three, Mulder and Scully meet the Were monster. Wait, I want to talk a little bit about the Founders Mutation. The scene. What about it? Why do they have to keep all the kids in their own little prison box? That didn't make any sense to me. It's just cruel. Like, let them play with each other. What does it matter? They're I mean, all a bunch of mutant freaks. They're I, I not think fun of each other. the whole, the real reason for that is to show us what an evil guy the mad scientist doctor dude is. Mm. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. that's why, it, in a way, it kind of felt a little contrived because I'm like, that's not entirely realistic. You're not going to be able to get away with 
raising you know twelve children in a you know and keeping them completely apart from each other. Well, and that was his his in universe explanation was we have to control for all environmental variables, so I'm going to keep these kids like they're hamsters. Yeah. I mean, his viewpoint was he was trying to, you know, sacrifice them for the greater good kind of thing, but that obviously is not exactly the the preferred, looked-upon way that you raise children. <laughs> not usually, no. no. Yeah, and I think they frown upon that on the... Uh, anyway, now can we talk about episode three? Okay, let's go ahead. Okay. <laughs> yeah, Joel, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Oh, well, Mike already did. I just said but, the title, dude. Go ahead. But you continue. <laughs> um, the the uh, breakdown is Mulder questions his faith in the unexplained. He attempts to gather proof of the existence of a new creature he and Scully investigate before jumping to conclusions. And this one basically is your, well, you think it's your typical take on a werewolf story. Yeah, the monster of the week X-Files episode. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. You've got uh, this couple who's attacked by or this was it a couple or a dude i forget the very first scene there's a couple yeah okay a couple who's attacked by some unseen creature or at least you see some creature and uh then they come to investigate things go a little bit haywire and soon um all of us are completely gobsmacked <laughs> yeah i mean this is a darren another darren morgan joint this is the guy who wrote clyde brookman's final repose he wrote jose chung's from outer space so from the beginning, you can tell things are a little off. They're doing something they've done a couple times before, the reversing of the roles, where Duchovny is playing Fox as someone who is getting too old for this shit and is frustrated by how many of their cases turned out to be hoaxes or explainable by something they just didn't understand or just like bullshit, crazy drugs, hallucinations. And he's just like, Venus. whatever. Uh, I guess most what? of most of my life has been spent viewing the planet Venus mm-hmm. and uh, Venus. Yes. If you saw anything other than the planet Venus, <laughs> you were mistaken. Oh, um, hmm. and Scully at this point is seeing what it's doing to him. And she's starting to have fun getting back into the X-Files, realizing how much she missed it. So they've kind of reversed their roles where he's looking for the rational explanation because he just assumes it's going to be bullshit. And she's like, all right, well, let's just see. We've encountered monsters before. Maybe it's a monster. (laughs) He's just like, yeah, okay, whatever. It's a mountain lion or a bear. Yeah. It was neat to see the, the switch in the two of them. It was neat to see Scully being the one that wants to investigate. And there's one more thing. It's not just, uh, the first thing we jump on. Like I said, it's not, a, it's not a cougar. It's not a, a mountain lion. And Mulder, you almost, almost feel how depressed he gets in this one. <laughs> and he is definitely pulling the, I'm too old for this shit, especially yeah. in one of the first really funny scenes where he can't figure out his phone. So he's snapping a picture like every second. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And he's well, running around the trailer trying to find the, the monster and take that, pictures well, at the same time. That whole sequence is phenomenal. But you think about what happened in episode one where they set him up that perhaps the entire alien conspiracy that they've been chasing after their whole career could just be the government and there never was aliens. So now here you are again where he's in a situation where there may not be any monsters. It may just be some dude in a rubber mask. And that, yeah, that whole sequence in the trailer is just... Uh, uh, 
I can't even explain how wonderful it is. And it just gets weirder and weirder for a little bit, where you've got this guy in a porta potty where the monster ran into, and all of a sudden it's just this dude with no pants dressed like Kolchak the Night Stalker, which I noticed the reference right off that. the beginning. The second I they opened that door, I knew exactly who they were referring to. That one also. Yeah, that costume straight out of the classic Monster of the Week show from the 60s. And uh, then after they continue to investigate and you get this weird scene where apparently the monster's staying in the same creepy motel where the uh, owner who drinks rubbing alcohol is looking through jackalope heads to spy on everybody. Yeah, that happened. How here's just a, just f- taking all fiction out of it. How long will you live if you're drinking straight rubbing alcohol? <laughs> I'm just- well, my my grandfather, who was a uh, raging alcoholic, used to drink vanilla extract and rubbing alcohol when he would run out of liquor. Oh, yeah, like a cocktail. No, just because they had trace amounts of alcohol in them, so he would drink both of them. Oh, yeah, and okay. he. He died a very horrible death by the time he was done abusing his body. So not a recommended cocktail. No, no definitely do not, not. Do not drink rubbing alcohol. If, if <laughs> nope. from our, All right. Uh, now, back to the fun thing. Uh, <laughs> I think I think that's actually one of the best lines in the whole show is, first thing we got to do is get out of this hotel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, and then, like, the next day, Scully finds the dude who is the monster working at a cell phone store. <laughs> And when you get the reveal that it isn't a man who turns into a lizard, but it is this ancient lizard being that was bitten by a man and turned into a man and has a compulsion to find a job and <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a were human. Yeah. yeah, and he wants exactly. to, he needs to get a mortgage. Oh, he doesn't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, his, his whole speech at the graveyard was was just brilliant. Yeah, an well, awesome I, performance by Reese Darby. Yeah. Um, um, well, I, I think of him anything from, British. Uh, what we do in the shadows, but uh, the, still haven't seen that one. Well, and Kamal then Jane Jane Jan Johnny, yeah, who was brilliant. Here, well, whatever. But the the whole sequence where again they're telling the story from different perspectives, where he's retell or they're retelling the story about um, where he met Scully. And all of a sudden, him and Scully are getting it on, and Mulder's like, no, no, I, I don't think that's how it happened. <laughs> you know, again, that role reversal, just spot on. And, and like I said, the speech just sold it. Yeah. Yeah, when they reveal uh, that uh, uh, Nanjiani's character of Pasha was the guy, he's a serial killer that tears people's throats out with his teeth. And they finally catch him because uh, when he ambushes Scully, she basically kicks his ass because, well, Mulder, remember, I'm immortal. <laughs> With a clear reference back to Clyde Bruckman's final repose, where uh, she's told by Bruckman that she doesn't die. Yep. And, uh, yeah, Pasha decides he's going to give his serial killer speech, and they drag him off. He's like, wait, I have a speech. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, also, other references, the two stoners uh, who were huffing the paint. This is not the first time those characters have appeared in the X-Files. Tyler Labine has yeah. been in there before? Tyler Labine and Nicole Parker specifically as those two characters. I don't know if this is their second or third appearance, but uh, they have showed up in the show before. As people those were stumbling two. upon bodies and stuff or what? Always, yeah. People don't believe them because they're high. <laughs> Really? Yep. I didn't realize that. Um, that happens, by the way. <clears throat> <laughs> well, Tyler Labine, the second I saw him, I'm just like, oh my God, it's Tucker. <laughs> 
<clears throat> yeah. Oh, uh, Tim. Yeah, I didn't even. The two episodes were both from 1996. Uh, they were in War of the Copperphages, which, if I remember right, was the uh, uh, cockroach episode. Yeah. Um, Quagmire, it says. Yeah, but yeah, I remember them best from War of the Copperphages. Hmm. He was also in an episode of Millennium. It looks like interesting. Was he playing the stoner again in that? Uh, That'd be great. No, he's playing a different character, but still. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, they've played stoner and chick now in three episodes. That's fantastic. <laughs> and you're right, it was a cockroach episode. All right, so uh, after that, we get the, we go into the dramatic episode. They're in the middle of solving a case, and Scully gets a phone call. Her mom has died. Or no, mom has a stroke. Yeah, and is dying. Is dying. Uh, and has called for her estranged brother. So Mulder's kind of left alone partly at this one. Uh, the whole, uh, premise is there's a, a guy trying to get rid of the homeless people living on the street because he wants to build a new, a new building. They, right. They find him in his office, literally ripped apart. Yeah, and the person who killed him could not possibly have been human, uh, far too strong, leaves no fingerprints, leaves mm-hmm. no trace, no DNA, yeah. nothing. Even on the Band-Aid. Right, it has neither organic nor inorganic material on it. Yeah, that was a really cool little... Head scratcher. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the, that poor guy the poor guy that had to work on it was like, I, this doesn't exist, but yet, you know, it's sitting here. Um Mulder also notices that a Banksy-esque type of painting shows up at all the scenes. So he goes hunting for the artist that uh, created the paintings and hunts this guy down. In the meantime, Scully's dealing with the fact that her mom is laying in a hospital bed who has also changed her will from being wanting to be revived to wanting to have the, the uh, plug pulled. And she didn't know about this. So she's having all sorts of issues uh, in dealing with her family because her brother's not talking because they're trying to get a hold of him. Uh, her mother is laying in the bed and about to die. So you get a lot of drama and background on building up Scully as a character. Yeah, I mean, she's already lost her sister. Her older brother is uh, trying to get back from Europe and can't make it. And the only one her mom is asking for is her fuck-up younger brother, who has shown no interest in even coming to see her. Right. Well, and they tie it all nicely together back with when uh, Scully was in the coma. So it all kind of comes full circle. Sure. Mm-hmm. It really does. And I, I love how by the end of it, because you've got the killer who keeps going f- uh, after these different people who prey on the homeless in their own ways. The guys who are taking the pieces of art and selling them for profit. The uh, not-in-my-neighborhood soccer mom who pretends to help the homeless but really just doesn't want them near her kid's school. Right. And there was a lot of, uh, especially in her death, a lot of symbolism to the whole uh, disposability. Yeah. It's like when she gets killed, when he comes after her, when, uh, what do they call him? Trash compactor? The uh, trash man. When oh, tra- yeah, yeah. Oh, Band-Aid Nose Man. Yeah, Band-Aid Nose Man. When he comes after her, she is... That does not roll off the tongue. No, no. It, it really doesn't. Uh, but when she, he comes after her, she's using a Keurig to make coffee into a paper cup. You know, everything she's using in that whole scene was completely disposable and wasteful actions. Yeah, and and that's how she views the homeless, something she just wants to throw away so she doesn't have to deal with it. Right, yeah. There was, and also the the fact that that cool, the trash uh, pickup truck 
showed up every time and he climbs back into the into the back of it and goes under the compressor every time uh he leaves is pretty cool too That's a good wow image. he was just menacing and very very interesting character design yeah yeah and when they finally get back together uh, scully's mom dies and she immediately has all these questions she's never going to get answers to and has to go back to work so they track the Banksy guy down and he tells them his story. Like he's made all this art, uh, it, because he's disgusted by the way people treat the homeless. And, uh, he created this character out of clay and it came to life and it's taken uh, like the energy combined of his creativity and all of the pain and suffering of the homeless has brought it as this avenging figure and something clicks for Scully. She says, you started this, you're responsible for it. Mm-hmm. And they keep coming back to this plot thread just sprinkled across these opening episodes, uh, going back to the movie where the child that Mulder and Scully had together, they had to give up for adoption to protect him. And she's starting to think, hey, this is something that my mother sought. This guy did it. I started this. I have a responsibility out there. And well, and they're, they're, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying they just kind of bring it all together. Well, what's interesting is they're taking the old uh, Jewish mythology of the golem in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh-huh. Where they create the uh, the stone of person that you feed the paper in the mouth and it comes to life and is uh, it's very similar to that same kind of mythos. Yeah. So I, I like this one. This, was, this one I think was a really good um, almost character study of Scully. Yeah, it advances the mythology while getting back to some classic X-Files themes. <clears throat> like, if they almost got a two-for-one out of this. Yeah. So, after that comes up Babylon. Uh, terrorist ends up in a coma after bombing a art gallery. Uh, Scully and Mulder are called in by their doppelganger younger agents and try and communicate with the man who is bridging the uh, life and death. Miller this, and Einstein. Yes. Yeah, this was a controversial episode. Really? Yeah, oh, there yeah, were a, when it first started out, I was like, "They're not going to do this." Yeah, I don't think yeah. so either. <laughs> there, there was there were a lot of people that were made very uncomfortable by the fact that uh, as soon as we see a Muslim dude, he's a suicide bomber. <laughs> yep. And I, I think that's a legit complaint, but. Keep in mind, we're dealing with a series that's primarily about government agents. And if there are a group of Muslims that are going to be relevant to a case that the FBI is going to be interested in, it's not entirely problematic or racist to like expect those to be characters that are going to be involved in a government agent story. Mm -hmm. And not to mention, honestly, I mean... Not a hundred percent of Muslims are suicide bombers, but close to a hundred percent of suicide bombers are Muslims. And if you're going to tell a story about a suicide bomber, it kind of makes sense he's going to be Muslim. But by the end of the episode, if you notice, with the way the story's told, the way the character arc happens with the man in the coma and the cell that they break up, the the man that's that's in the coma um, recants basically and gives them what they need to take down the cell. So he realizes that, you know, maybe this wasn't the thing he should have done. Um, they also characterize his mother and, you know, that he got pulled into this and was kind of sucked into the, the not necessarily brainwashing, but, and then the cell itself, there's not just Muslims there. Right. And mm -hmm. they have this whole thing going on in the background that is a damning criticism of the people who assume all Muslims are terrorists or even a significant portion of Muslims are terrorists. You're in the, deep in Texas. 
and they're being treated like shit. And there's a bit of like, what sort of responsibility do people who hate Muslims have for turning them into terrorists? And they directly address that. So I kind of, I, I understand why people had problems with it, but I think that they treated it with enough sensitivity that you can call it a wash and we can get past the controversy and talk about the rest of the episode, which has some great stuff. I really didn't think it was that controversial because it was that well handled, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, mean, there were again, a lot. I'm of, not a Muslim, so. There were a lot of people complaining what? online about it. <laughs> and we get that sweet, sweet Mulderon acid segment. Well, yeah, but even not before really that, we get the characters of Miller and Einstein who are very clearly basically younger versions of Mulder and Scully. Mm-hmm. I right. thought it would have been interesting if they'd have made if they'd have switched the genders on them. I they, mean, him, the the scientist, you know. Yeah, we've seen that though. I mean, have, is have it, they done that already? Well, no, I'm just saying in fiction, I don't know that it's any more interesting anymore to just directly roll reversal than it That's is trope now. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it worked better to see them pair off with their opposite counterparts, you know, right. while they're working mm-hmm. with the Scully Jr. and vice versa. Yeah, sure. I think that was a better way of handling it. Maybe you're right. Where Scully approaches the true believer because she's got this idea that she wants to make work and she's still throwing herself into her work after her mother's death. And Einstein does not want to work with Mulder. But as soon as she sees her partner with Scully, there's this weird jealousy thing. She's like, okay, I'm going to do it on my own with your partner then, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> right. That Played was... by the lovely Lauren Ambrose. Yeah, from Torchwood Millennium Day. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that the name? Uh, Six Feet Under, thank you very much. Well, I, I'm more familiar with her in the American Torchwood. I, I saw like two episodes of Six Feet Under. Two more than I saw. You guys are missing out. Anyway, back to the story. All right, so, yes, they wind up going back. Mulder gets up with, uh, what's it, hooks up with, um, well, let's just say hooks up with Einstein. And his idea is to, you're going to give me a bunch of acid, I'm going to take it, and then talk to the dead guy. Magic mushrooms. Magic, I mean, they're, yeah. They're, yeah, they're psychoactives, sorry. but... Uh... Sorry, not acid, mushrooms. Um, And she goes in, she falls in for it, and apparently gives Mulder two tabs that uh have the ma- magic mushroom powder in it. <laughs> and then we get treated to probably one of my most favorite segments of the X-Files as a whole. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the Mulder wandering on his own tripping balls. Yes. Oh and wandering into a honky-tonks line dancing bar, which was just... Uh, and I will tell you, honestly... Other than the fact that they were playing Achy Breaky Heart, that was pretty much all spot on. I, th- those exist and they happen and I've been inside of them while they're like Honky Tonk Badonkadonk? I'm telling you, that was not, I'm watching it going, oh, I would love to say that this is a stereotype, but it is totally real. Well, I think the biggest thing is he took somebody's cowboy hat and wore it and didn't get laid the fuck out. That, yeah, yeah. Only women get away with taking the guy's cowboy hat. Not yeah. if he's that good looking. Um, did, do they have true. those, um, as well. Do they have those uh those things that he the rings that he was wearing on his hand that <laughs> That's about the point you realize maybe this isn't really happening <laughs> when he's got the rings on his fists and then uh you've got Skinner with a cowboy hat drown- downing drinks and then they show the lone gunman all in western attire. Yeah. Despite, and it's cool because it, they killed off the lone gunman in season 9. 
But the comic books, which are not considered canon, suggested they faked their death. And the way they were handled only coming back in a hallucination leaves both possibilities open to which one actually happened. Which mm. faking their own death would make sense with the characters themselves. Yes. So I love that they didn't say definitively that they didn't die in their farewell episode, but they didn't say that they did. And we got to see them again. Yep. Which is always awesome. And we come to find out that the psychotropic mushrooms that he took were just a placebo. Yes. Niacin pills. But that's all right, because the other plan, which was uh Scully's, isn't working that great either, because they can only get brain readings, but they can't read them. She wants to hook him up uh to basically, I, I forget whether it was an EEG, yeah. so, something mm-hmm. to measure his I, brainwaves. And, and I have to say real quick before we move on, I don't think that it was actual um placebos. I think she really did give him the... The mushrooms, and she just tried to save face by saying it was placebo. Think so? Uh, yep. I don't know. I think that as a medical doctor, they would know, especially considering Skinner was talking about drumming him right back out of the FBI, that they could test for that. I think they could, but I don't know. I mean, she, he didn't know about it. Skinner didn't know about it until she admitted to him. Yeah, so and it was actually test, why would he test for it? It was actually very unclear at the end of Babylon whether or not he was kicked out of the FBI again or not. Right. Uh, that was the only thing I didn't like about the episode. But back to the plot, uh, between, uh, after his, at the end of his acid trip, once he's out of the bar, uh, Mulder finds himself on this creepy boat where the terrorist, uh, is in the arms of, uh, this older woman. There are all of these people chanting this weird song about how they have to row and he is being whipped by the cigarette smoking man. And he is able to get close enough uh, to the dying young man to hear a few words. The problem is, is he doesn't understand them because they're in Arabic. And then he wakes up. Yep. This, I think, again, it seems like the entire season, these, well, the season, these six episodes, is all aiming at introducing people to Mulder and Scully. You know, you've got, I mean, in Home Again, you've got Mulder who kind of believes you don't really see how far he'll go for a case. But in this one, it's like Home Again is more on Scully. You get to see more about Scully and what her background is. And in Babylon, I think you get to see more about Mulder. And now that he's waist deep in it, he you get to see how far he will actually will go and wants to do and wants to how much he believes that this stuff exists. And being given a chance to work with a new person, he you get you get to see exactly. Let's you're coming along for the ride. Right. And in the end, it's a combination of the two ideas in somewhat, plus Miller's knowledge of Arabic that ends up saving the day and breaking up the cell before anyone else can be killed. But I thought what was really interesting is that Einstein and Miller were not one-off characters. Exactly. And all all of a sudden, I started thinking, this is really clever. Because they're setting uh, us up for the future where they can do more X-Files, even if Duchovny or Anderson wants to do fewer episodes. Like, they don't want a repeat of seasons eight and nine for season 11. If Duchovny's like, yeah, I'll come back, but I'm only doing four episodes. Well, they they can still move forward. They can just have the serious principles uh, be the new generation with uh, <clears throat> Scully and Mulder coming back for important mythology episodes if they have to. Mm-hmm. And and you do see that actually in my struggle too, 
Mm-hmm. When uh, yes, when of course there's always the boogaloo. When uh, <laughs> Einstein comes back to help Scully in uh, de- finding a cure for this disease that is running rampant across the world or all across the globe. Um, and Mulder's disappeared. Nobody knows where he is. Yeah, Mulder's off the is totally off the grid. You come back to his house. Uh, what was the name of the TV guy again? Right. Joel McHale's character, uh, Tad, Tad Roberts? Tad O'Malley. Yeah. Tad O'Malley. Tad O'Malley. Right. So Tad O'Malley is looking for Mulder, gets about to his house, finds the place has been ransacked, and Mulder's nowhere to be found. Uh, goes to find Scully, gets Scully over there. Now, both of them want to find Mulder. Uh, in the meantime, they head to back to the hospital and discover that people are getting sick. And that's just, it's not just a local area. It's across the world. People are getting ill. People are getting sick and starting to die from this. Initially, it's just, uh, military. Yeah. It's soldiers who got vaccinated for anthrax to go overseas are succumbing to anthrax. Right. Whereas she discovers, now this is total spoilers, that we have been genetically coded to have our, uh, defense systems or, uh, I just lost the word. Immune system? Immune system. Have our immune systems lowered in order for us to be culled yeah there's uh, they've been compromised in specific ways where various triggers whether it's something in the air or whether it's a sound or sometimes a particular wave that can be hit with a population all of a sudden people's immune systems get turned off and anything bacterial viral is deadly Mm -hmm. and for some reason scully's not getting sick right this is where things get hairy we discover where Mulder has gone uh, Mulder is hunting down the cigarette-smoking man. Also, we find out um, Lucy Lawless's character. Huh? It wasn't no, Lucy Lawless. No, no, who was Lucy? No, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of... Annabeth Gish. Yeah. Yeah, Annabeth Gish reprising her role from uh, seasons eight and nine as Monica Reyes. Right. So she comes back, and we discover that she has actually been working with Cancer Man. Lighting his yep. cigarettes for him. She found she was brought, summoned to his side when he barely survived the rocket explosion. Burns over pretty much a hundred percent of his body. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he he uh, he tells her the big plot and offers her a deal in order to survive the eventual culling of mankind. Offers her what he calls a seat at the big table. Right. Okay, I just looked it up. I'm not nuts. Lucy Lawless actually was in an episode of the X Files, just not any, not this one, yeah. not the one, <laughs> just not the ones we've been talking about. Right. <laughs> so yeah, so she gets offered the, the the seat at the big table. Scully has been quote unquote vaccinated with the, which they thought the thing that that has been triggering it was this alien DNA that is causing people to get sick when they wind up discovering that's actually exactly the opposite. Right. Because Scully's got the alien DNA, she's immune to what they're calling the Spartan virus, and she's been pre-selected by the syndicate and the cigarette-smoking man to survive the purge of humanity. Right. Cut back to the fight between, well, I guess not as much fight, but you discover that Mulder has not. Now he's over in the uh the home with the with the cigarette smoking man who is offering him the vaccination to survive it. Yeah, but he has to ask for it. Yes. And Mulder's not doing that. And eventually he gets re- uh in comes the, the the new guy's name. Miller. Miller, Miller yeah. Yeah, Miller, Miller shows up. I don't honestly I'm not entirely sh- how did Miller find him again? I think he'd been looking for him the whole time. Oh, you know, and he oh, finds no. he you know finds his laptop and uses a Find My Phone. That's right, that's yeah. right. He uses a Find My Phone app. Comes in, saves, uh, quote unquote, saves Mulder. 
from what's going on in the cigarette, cigarette smoking man's house and takes off with him. Calls and Skull. Mulder, don't oh, forget, in this yeah. scene, Mulder is starting to get sick rapidly. Yeah. Like, assume, pretty much from the moment he refuses the cigarette smoking man's offer, he just starts looking terrible. Mm-hmm. It, hits, it basically hits him full force, almost like it was planned. But, uh, he winds up, uh, going out with, heading out with him, trying to get away, get it back to the hospital. The whole time Scully's working on making a cure from it by extracting the DNA from her blood. Yes, they discover that so long as they take enough of the blood from Scully, where they can actually find the marker that's relevant, they can science the shit out of it. They can centrifuge it, make a cure, save everybody. But the question is, with Mulder's uh, Mulder's rapidly deteriorating condition, is he going to survive what's going on or not? Right. Well, Miller, too. Yeah, Miller has it also. Fast forward. Yeah, but Miller doesn't look nearly as bad as Mulder does. No, no. no. Mulder looks terrible. I mean, Miller's still driving a car and able to walk around. Mulder can't even do that. Well, I mean, I would imagine that this this cigarette-smoking man probably had some kind of security protocol that would release whatever was required at his own living, you know, wherever he's living. So he's, he's like, if there's somebody in my house that I, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't give the Spart- or I gave the Spartan virus to, obviously I don't want him there. Right. So it's probably like a concentrated effort. Really. Yeah, and he wants to remake the world in his own image, which is creepy considering yeah. his image. When we get the big reveal, he takes the uh, prosthetic face off and we see that he, <sighs> his nose and half his face is gone. Right. Yeah, almost looking like an alien. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I didn't catch that. Yep. So, I didn't think about that either, but yeah. Yeah, kind of looks alien-like with those two little nose holes. The nose, the slit nose, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, fast forward, Scully sciences the crap out of everything and runs to meet up with Mulder on the bridge. Yeah. Traffic gets in the way, but she's fighting as much as she can, driving on the sidewalk, doing everything she can to save his life. The only thing out of the whole global plague situation, the... In, in this chase down to find get Scully and Mulder reunited so she can give him the cure, the scene with the guy who breaks the windows was kind of took me out of it. I could see that, where she's like, no, don't do that. Stop rioting. Go to the hospital. And everyone's like, eh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, you are way too important to be stopping right now to try to stop looting. Yeah. Like, what if these people just turned on you and killed you and then, oh, okay, well, there's the, yeah. there's the dead lady yeah. with supposed to save us all. Season ender. <laughs> Not so immortal after all. Right. So that, that kind of took me out of it. But the, she finally catches up to Mulder is concerned that she may not be able to save him. Yeah, he may be so far gone that he needs stem cells, and there's only one possible donor. Which would be their kid. Bum, bum, bum. Who they don't know where, where they don't know where he is. Bum, 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 bum. And just to make things worse, aliens. And throughout this revamp, they've suggested that aliens existed at one point, but how much of what we saw in the previous seasons was aliens and how much was people pretending to be aliens to cover up a conspiracy of men? Like, we see a UFO, but we don't know if it's aliens driving. We don't know if it's the government driving. Right. But it shows up. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's go back to... um, uh, about Founder's Mutation, that's the ship that showed up above them was the same ship that they were working on in that uh, warehouse. 
the big truck. Yeah, except they blew that ship up. Well, I mean, it's the same model. I mean, it's the same right. the same uh, knowledge that they had that they had taken with them after they had bolted. Yeah, uh, the ARV, alien replica vehicle. Mm-hmm. So Mul- Scully's got the cure in her hands. Mulder's about to die. Look up in the air. Alien beam comes down. Hits Scully in the face. Focus on her eye and close curtain. <laughs> yeah, produced by Chris Carter. <laughs> right. Let's see you not renew so. us now, fuckers. Right, right. <laughs> very, I got a very Soprano-esque vibe uh, out of that. I'm like, okay, Aww. you're just going to end it like that? That's it? And you can, you, I, get. I watched all these with Suzanne. One of the, my favorite moments is when we get to one of these and Suzanne's reaction. This, this time it was just, what? <laughs> just like, wait, wait, wait. No, there has to be another one on. There, there, there was another one on. You know, this My Struggle Part 2, Part 2. It's got to be, nope, that's it. We're done. That's how it ends. Yeah. That's it. So, uh, I'm, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever they do with it, whether it's just another movie, whether it's another six episode season, whether they can talk the principal actors into coming back for more than six, whatever they do, I'm, I'm in. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I was, I was in when my struggle came, came out. I was, I was like, I'm on board with this. By the time they meet the wear monster, I'm in the pool. <laughs> I'm I'm in I'm in for the long haul. We're gonna watch this. This is this is going to be awesome again. I think. Now, out of these six, what's your favorite? <laughs> oh, the Wear Monster for me. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Wear Monster. I think it's yeah. All four of us. I mean, don't get me wrong. Episode Babylon's good, but it has a few minor problems. I love the addition of the the new characters and the uh, scene where he is tripping balls is pretty awesome. But I mean, Where Monster just has the awesome performances all around, and it's a Darren Morgan who's always been my favorite. Yeah, it's solid start to finish all around. Yeah. So, what is the the future holding? I know we're having a movie. Well, I mean, Fox is interested in continuing, but there haven't been any official nota, uh, negotiations. There haven't been any talks about what's next uh, for the series, but we can expect an announcement at some point. I think they don't want to announce before they're sure they have, especially Duchovny on board, considering he uh, torpedoed the whole deal once before. So I think they want to lock him in first. Oh, yeah. All so right. once everyone's on board, we'll hear more. Yeah. And I can't, th- I can't think that Mulder, I can't think that Duchovny and, uh, Gillian Anderson won't come back. Well, they're also both pretty busy. I mean, they've got stuff going on. Um, uh, they'll ha- I, I can't remember what uh, their production schedule for, cause she's very active on stage. Uh, he's got, is his other series still going? Californication? No, yeah. I don't think so. And she had another series on BBC, I believe, for, uh, it's on Netflix that she was in. So yeah, they're, they're keeping busy. And she was on, um, Hannibal also. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, his current series is not Californication. It's Aquarius. What's that one about? That was the one that was, uh, set in the time of the, uh, the Son of Sam killings. Oh, that's uh, right. That's right. Yeah. They just, uh, debuted season two. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's where he's like the straight-laced square uh inspector in the time of the hippies in the Son of Sam era murders. And so, yeah. It's a stretch for him. Well, yeah, it's weird. Like, uh <laughs> it sort of is a, a little bit because he's not the, like, outsider weirdo agent. He's the boring, stick-in-the-mud, dad suit agent. And yeah, it, it, apparently it is 
fairly popular. They renewed it for a second season, so they're going to have to compete with that. Uh, and that's that's an NBC thing. Nice. I think I think we'll be all right. I think what, I think they're gonna they'll make it work. Yeah, but they're going to want everybody to know exactly what their role is, what their commitments are going to be before they dare announce anything to the fans, because that would be the worst. Is telling us, well, definitely we're doing more, and they're like, yeah, about that. That's mm-hmm. so much. So, speaking of more, what are we doing next week? Oh, it's time for the D to the P. Oh, yeah. Deadpool. Not, not double penetration. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> oh, oh. Well, I've been preparing for this all my life. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> no DP. So, yeah, next week, we all of us um, are reading up our, our comics on uh, Deadpool, and we are also, have all, have all of us seen it? Well, three or four of us. Yes, I have not yet. Oh, by the time we record, all of us will have seen the the brand new movie. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I went and saw it last night and have my opinions on it. And, um, so next week is the Deadpooling show. I plan to have no opinions on it. Oh, I think you'll have opinions. You're going to have opinions. I never have opinions on anything. Can I? They're all facts. Ask a question real quick. Yes. Did, were we going to say what our favorite episode was of all the series? I guess that's a legit question. Did any of the six displace our original favorites? No. For me, no. No. <laughs> no, Clive Buckman, Buckman is still my favorite. Yeah. How about I mean, you, I, I'm a big Peter Boyle fan, and everybody knows I'm obsessed with the whole death thing. So the combination of the two. Oh, it's tough because the curse of the, the were monster. Is, it was really good. That's my second favorite episode now. Is is so close that it's it's hard to say. But uh, for now, since I haven't watched Where Monster more than once, I don't know if it holds up. I'll say Clyde Bruckman's, but it potentially could be dethroned. Yeah, I mean Reese Darby is awesome, but yeah. for me, unless they can dig up Peter Boyle or Charles Nelson Riley, <laughs> Jose Chung and yeah. Charles Bruckman are pretty much untouchable. Clyde. Clyde Bruckman. Charles Charles Nelson Riley was really good at that. That's true. And uh, in Millennium, they brought the character back. Oh, nice. Yeah, there was a Jose Chung's episode in Millennium. And so if you haven't seen it, yeah, watch it. Cool. I tried to get into that show, and I just couldn't. I don't know why. I needed to watch more. Yeah, I only gave it like four episodes. (laughs) I needed to watch more. All right, so next week, Deadpool. Yeah, and if you have any... uh ideas for us you can give us a call at 708 now rap that's 708-669-9727 or send us an email at 40 go 14 at uh, gmail.com and you could check out our old shows on itunes blueberry stitcher talk show and other fine podcasting directories and catch us saturdays at noon on geek life radio yeah so uh, until uh, next week you know hope you get out there to see the deadpool show and uh Deadpool movie, and uh, I'd like to have you uh, follow along on us. Give us some opinions on uh, what you think about the movie, or Deadpool in general. The truth is out there. I want to believe that Joel can whistle. (laughs) I'm just having a hard time. (laughs) Nice. Good night. Good night, folks. Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen, Show One Hundred and Thirty. This is Michael. I am Patrick. Shit! I'm God Joel. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking shit! Forty Going On Fourteen. 
Hello, everybody. Welcome to the goddammit. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with me now? <laughs> All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to part two of 4114's X-Men special. X-Men? <laughs> X-Men. What? Did I? No, you said right. X-Men. God yes. damn it. <laughs> two, one. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our X... God damn it. <laughs> You've got to keep this in the intro. I'm oh, just completely. I will. What's wrong with me?